Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning, everybody. Um, hope you're having a great day, a great week. Uh, starting out midway through the week. Um, I'm going to be talking about 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And we're going to approach it a little differently today. So let me go ahead and, and start out. We're going to look at who's talking, who are they talking to, and what is it he's telling them. And within that framework, we're going to learn a little bit about Peter. And we're going to dig into the, some words, and I'll go over those with you in just a minute. So I'm going to read 1 Peter 1, 1 through 5 uh, in, the, in the King James Version. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has gotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through the faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, we're going to look at some specific words and see exactly what it is that they mean. Uh, in verse 1, the word apostle, what, what is an apostle? Well, and you'll have to bear with me on my pronunciation of Greek here, so I'll give it my best shot, and if it's not right, we'll use your version. Apost apostolos it means one cent, the apostle, the ambassador, to act as an ambassador, the messenger or ambassador, and he can never be greater than the one that sent him. And it's designated as an office by Christ to witness of him before the world. So if you're an ambassador, your job is to represent the home government in the location that you're working out of, okay? We have ambassadors to various countries. So what, the, what they're telling you, what Paul's telling you, is he's an ambassador from Christ here. Well, now an ambassador is just visiting. He doesn't live there. He's not from there. But, and he may, have an, a, he may have an embassy there, but he's not from there. So now, who is the ambassador talking to? Well, he's talking to strangers. Now, what are strangers? Strangers is the word parademinos, parapademos, stranger, which is from, in or among, a people, a stranger, a sojourner, not simply one who is passing through, but a foreigner who has settled down, however briefly, next to or among the native people, to reside as a stranger. So we have the ambassador from the home country is talking to people that are living here as strangers. And that's talking to us. 
this is critical that we get the fact that we don't live here. This isn't our home. We're just passing through, so to speak. Um, it occurred to me the other day that we're between Psalm 11.3 and Isaiah 9.6. Psalm 11.3 says, What can the righteous do when the foundations are destroyed? And when we look around, that's what we see as a regular, is that the foundations are crumbling beneath us even as we speak. And Isaiah 9.6, which says that the government will be upon his shoulders. We're in between those two, and we need to understand what we're supposed to be doing until we get to the Isaiah 9.6 part, where the government is upon his shoulders. Now, the next word that we want to carefully look at is the word sanctification in verse 3. Sanctification means, obviously, to sanctify. It's translated as holiness, and it means separation unto God. Sanctification of the Spirit produced by the Holy Spirit. Now, as we see this, he's talking to the strangers who are sanctified and set apart by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's another couple interesting notes here. There are two other Greek words which are translated holiness, but they must be distinguished the state of being sanctified is not just a process, but it's the end result. So one of the things that the Scriptures talk about when it's talk about sanctification, you'll be 100% sanctified when you get out, of the, get out of the earth suit. When you pass away and you go to heaven, you will be 100% sanctified. Now there's a lot of other interesting things about that, uh, but right now we'll just leave that as it is. It refers not only to the activity of the Holy Spirit in setting man apart to salvation, but it's also transferring him into the ranks of the redeemed and enabling him to be holy even as God is holy. Now you can see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. We're not going to go there. But so... He's talking about strangers who are sanctified. Now, as you get born, let's just say you get born again in 1968. That's when I happened to get saved. When you get saved, from that point until now, September of 2022, is a sanctification process. It's not a, it's not a straight line. Lord only knows how many of us wish it was. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an up and down event. But the trend line is always up. Now, you, you, you'll make progress here, and then something will knock you down, and you'll have to get back up. But that's the process of sanctification. And that's what he's talking to about the strangers that he's writing to. Now, the next word we want to look at in verse 3 is hope. Hope. Hope is the desire of some good thing with an expectation of obtaining it. As yet, only an expectation, it's not an actuality. So, uh, we have a hope of eternal life. Now, we have eternal life now. We're going to see some things in here that, that tell you a lot of what Peter's talking about are things that we have now, but we may not see them, <coughs> pardon me, we may not see them in effect as we would like for them to, but 
We have a hope for that. I, you know, I hope to be able to come to... Paul wrote that several times, I think. I hope to be able to come see you. Uh, but the devil hindered me, or the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. But you have a hope, an expectation of where you want to go. Now, the next word we want to look at is resurrection in 1.3. It means to stand up, means to recover. Um, and it has, it has four lines here that I think are really good. It's a standing on the feet again or rising as opposed to falling. I think of, of um, someone that, that is dying. They die, they're standing up, bang, they fall down. But the resurrection means they get back up again. The resurrection of the body from death returned to life. So uh, we've had several friends recently pass away. And um, uh, our pastor from Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, his wife died. They'd been married like 57 years. She just died from cancer. And, um, and his writing, he, he wrote a post about it on Facebook. And his writing, he talked about the, the, the gut-wrenching pain of losing his partner, but the overwhelming joy of knowing where she is and she's not struggling anymore. She, she, she will get a resurrected body, but right now she's in heaven and she's not worrying about these things. So that's, that's a hope that we have. And, and Richard wrote about that in his post about his hope for the resurrection and his trust in God. So the other thing is it's spoken of individuals who have returned to life Three people I can think of immediately, Jesus, Lazarus, and Jairus' daughter. There's many more, but those are the three I think of. They came back to life. There's others. Now, it's also spoken of the future resurrection. That's when the whole thing gets wrapped up and we all get our new glorified bodies. And we're, we're going to look at that in just a second under the, under the term of, of um, inheritance. Now... So he's writing to strangers who are sanctified and they have a hope of the resurrection. Okay? Those are the people that he's talking to and in reality, that's us. Now, let's go on to the next word, the word inheritance. That word means chloronomai. That's how I pronounce it. Chloronomai. If that's not it, I'm sorry the best I can do. Inheritance, that which constitutes one as an heir, divine salvation, considered both promised and already bestowed. Now listen to that. It is considered both promised and something that's already bestowed. It is designated an inheritance in the New Testament so far as man, the heir of obtains possession of it. So now, we have obtained an inheritance. What does that look like? Well, I've, I've, I'm sure many of you have read mysteries and murder mysteries and seen movies and everything over time about the rich guy who died and everybody wants his money. That, you know, they're, they're all heirs. How many, how many wills did he have? Uh, I'm thinking of Howard Hughes. Um, I listened to a teaching by John Ortberg uh, recently where he talked about Herod, King Herod, when he died, 
had so many wills, they didn't know which one was the right one. So, what we're looking at is an inheritance that we know we get. Now, how do we act on it? That's for another story. But right now, he's talking about the inheritance. The next word we want to take a look at is incorruptible. And it's the word aptartos. Aptartos. It means not corruptible. Incorruptible. It's not capable of corruption. The word, and here's one of the more interesting things I found out about that. That word is not found in the Septuagint. There's no word in the Old Testament that refers to this. And they didn't have the New Covenant. We do. Now, you'll read later on in Peter about that we're born again of not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. Okay? So, incorruptibility means that it's an attribute of deity that even the heathen recognize. When predicated on God, now listen to this closely, when predicated on God, it means that he is exempt from the wear, waste, and final perishing which characterize the present body of man. Therefore, corruptibility is the characteristic of the perishability of the body of man as presently conducted or constituted. So, the earth suit that you got right now, you're finding, I'm found out, that it's not working like it did when I was 25. Um, it's not working like it did when I was 40. I'll quit there, but you can guess it's not working as well as it used to. Uh, we all understand that as we watch people grow older. Um, some people, it affects people differently. You look at all the horrible things that happen to our bodies. Uh, cancer, uh, diabetes, COVID. Um, I could go on and on. Uh, um, Alzheimer's, dementia. All of these things are things that just destroy your body. It's the result of sin. And it's what sin that breaks down. It's just totally destroyed. That's what it does. But we've been delivered from that, and we've been given an inheritance that is incorruptible. That's what you got to remember that. And our bodies, uh, when we get older and we pass away, our bodies, when we're resurrected, will be incorruptible. That's a great thought. That is something, that is a hope. And I suggest to you that you do some reading on um, books on heaven. Find out what the great writers say about it. I, I, I doubt very many of you are getting sermons on heaven. I've, I've been a Christian since the 60s, and I can count on one hand the number of sermons I've ever heard about heaven. People don't talk about it, but you should. Scripture encourages us to do that. And when you get a, a hope, and you set in your mind what the incorruptibility is that we're going to be experiencing, that's an exciting thing. And I've read stories, and of course they're not Scripture, but they give you a framework to think about heaven. I've read stories of people that have died and come back and been dead for a long time and come back. Don, uh, Don Piper reminds me of, of the one, 90 minutes in heaven. He was clinically dead for 90 minutes and he came back and, no brain damage. Now, yeah, a lot of physical problems, but 
the point is is that people have been there and come back and tried to tell us. I remember the story in, in Luke 16 about Lazarus and the rich guy. Rich guy dies and he goes one place, and Lazarus dies and he goes another place. And you can see that there's definitely something going on in the afterworld. Well, it tells us here that part of our inheritance is incorruptibility. When you get to heaven, you won't have to worry about sin. You won't have to worry about any of these things because they won't exist. You, you won't do them. That's a positive thing. Now, read that last statement one more time. This body, which is now corruptible, will receive God's incorruptibility on the day of resurrection. As referred to in the Scripture... Will have nothing to do. It has nothing to do with the spiritual makeup of the man, but only his physical makeup. So it's not talking about your spirit, man. It's talking about your earth suit, the suit that you're going to live in. Okay. Now, the inheritance of the believer is called incorruptible. The inheritance of the believer is called incorruptible, not like the body that is going to be done away with. It is something that the believer receives in this life and will continue to have after this life is over. It's not subject to the same kind of deterioration as the present body in which the believer suffers. Now, get that. This, this is hope. This is inspiring. And Peter's talking to these people that are undergoing great uh, uh, persecution. In fact, if I go back and read, let me read to you a little bit about the environment that, that he's writing to these people in. This letter was written to encourage the believers to endure the intense persecution that was prevalent in the area and to prepare the readers for the difficult times ahead of them. The first empire-wide persecution of Christians didn't come until 250, 249 A.D., under the brutal emperor Decius. But local persecutions many times were quite severe. Peter used Jesus' own suffering as the cornerstone of his exhortation. Likewise, Peter admonished believers to suffer as Christians and not as lawbreakers. Now, I bring that up to you simply because part of what He's trying to do. The people are undergoing these terrible persecutions. And uh, we've talked about this before. If you go back to the book of Mark, chapter 4, and you look at the parable of the sower, Jesus predicted this. If the sower sows the word, Satan comes immediately to steal the word, and he has five weapons. He has affliction, persecution, the deceitfulness of riches, lust or pressure on the five physical senses, and and Anxiety and worry. Those are the five basic weapons he were, he uses. And Peter has experienced every one of those. Now, the interesting thing is, and not to get off subject here, but you got to go back and remember who he's writing to and, and under the situation that he's writing. We go back to Acts 4. You find Peter just uh, in a straight panic because they're in a storm. And they're going to drown as a professional fisherman. He didn't like that. He called Jesus out, and Jesus said, Oh, you have little faith. Uh, you have no faith. Why is it that you have no faith? 
Then we proceed there to Acts 12. Peter's going to be executed, and he's so sound asleep the night before he's executed uh, that the angel who comes to deliver him has to kick him in the side to wake him up. So what happened between those two? Well, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, and then what he's writing now is based on his experiences since Acts 2, not before Acts 2. Uh, that guy is dead and gone. And I think Peter recognizes that. But he does recognize and remember what Jesus taught him about persecution. The, the, the sower sows the word and the enemy comes to steal, kills, destroy by using those five weapons. So that's the Peter that's writing here. So uh, like I've said many times, um, if I want to learn how to win a Super Bowl, I'm going to listen to uh, Tom Brady or Joe Montana, Joe Winamus, somebody like that. I'm not going to listen to some quarterback that's never played a Super Bowl and very rarely uh, throws the correct pass. I'm not going to listen to him. I want to listen to somebody that's been there and done that, and that's what Peter is right here. So just keep that in mind. Now, we move past incorruptible, and we move to the next word in verse chapter or verse pardon me chapter one verse four the words undefiled emanantos that which has nothing in it that defiles unpolluted unstained unsoiled undefiled by sin now let's go back and let's read uh, verse four. To an inheritance, this is us, to an inheritance, it's incorruptible and undefiled. So not only is it incorruptible, uh, it has no stain or soil in it whatsoever. That's exciting stuff. We can't comprehend that because we live in a world where uh, right now they can't figure out if it's a boy or a girl. They've got, uh, I heard today now, they're up to 60, 60 different genders. I don't know what they are. Uh, I know of two, and those are the two that I'm counting on. So, But we'll, we will be in an environment where those kind of things don't exist. And I can't comprehend that. And our mind has been ruined by sin. Uh, we've thought about, you know, the whole struggle of sanctification, Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transforms, metamorphosis, perfect description of sanctification. We start out as a caterpillar and we end up as a butterfly. That's a planned process, but it's not easy. And that's where we're at now. When we get this inherited, uncorruptible, undefiled body, we'll be the butterfly. There won't be any more sanctification to be done. It's a done deal. So undefiled, it means, is being free from a mixture of evil. Wouldn't you like to be experience that? Um, <coughs> pardon me. One who observes duties toward God with a godlike, honorable attitude. <coughs> Excuse me again. Sacred, outwardly associated with God. Well, that's what we all want to be. That is the area that we're walking in. That's what we're trying to get to. So, uh, from that sense point, from that point of view. Uh, this is something that we've got hope to look forward to. Now, let's go down to verse 5, and we're going to look at some interesting words here. 
the word power, or our old friend from Acts 1a, dunamis. Uh, we get the word dynamite from that, power, explosive power. And dunamis, in this verse, means to be able to. It has power, especially achieving power. It's the meaning of being able, capable, and it may even mean to will. It's spoken of intrinsic power, either physical or moral. Now, we have that power. The question is, how do we exercise it? How do we walk in it? Peter's telling us we have all of these things. We go back and look at at verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Uh, if we take a look at that, and you would go to Roman, or not Romans, pardon me, Ephesians 3.20, it talks about the power that is at work within us. Um, the Holy Spirit works within us, but one of the, one of the um, barriers that we have to get over is how much of the power that's in us do we actually let work? How much do we exercise that which we've been given? That's what the sanctification process is working out. And that's how we understand what we're supposed to do to get where God wants us to go. He's given us that power. Now, let's go back and look at the next word. Faith. Well, faith is, you got to have faith. You can't operate in, in the spiritual world with God and not have faith. Uh, Mark 1.12 speaks of after the Jesus, the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove. The Father heard this voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Not just I'm happy with him. He's an okay guy. It's, he's well pleased. And when we go to Hebrews 11.6, we find out that you can't please God if you're not operating in faith. So we can uh, assume from that and we can see very clearly Jesus operated in faith. Well, Faith is, means subjectively meaning firm persuasion. Now, I do want to read Hebrews 11.1 1 from the Amplified, the best translation I've ever read on this. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we don't see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceives as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. If we can't operate like that, the first four verses of 1 Peter will be meaningless to us. It will, we go, we, we'll, 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 we'll try to fill in the blanks with religion. We'll, you know, we run down to first church and find out once you get saved, then you've got to quit smoking, you've got to quit dancing, you've got to quit playing cards can't go with the girls that chew or do or any of that kind of stuff. That's religion talking. What he's talking about here is faith to grab a hold of the inheritance and the power and, the, and understand the incorruptibility and the undefilement that we're going to experience as hope in the future. That's, that's what Peter's trying to get us to. He's trying to not, not look at religion, not looking going to, to Sunday school or Sunday church, for an hour, hour and a half, if it's a long service, but usually an hour, you can set your watch, 11 o'clock, three hymns in a cloud of dust, 11.15, the announcement, 11.20, something else happens, 
11.25, we get a 20-minute service, and we end up with a hymn, and we're over at 12 o'clock. Time to go beat the Methodists to the Cracker Barrel. Anyway, faith. We've got to operate that way. Now, the last word we want to take a look at, well, not the last word, next to last, is salvation. Soterai, soterai, I think it is. It means the Savior, deliverer, safety, deliverance, perseverance, per perseverance, preservation from danger or destruction. Particularly, generally, deliverance from danger, deliverance from slavery, from enemies, generally meaning welfare, prosperity, and by implication, victory. Salvation can mean deliverance from present danger or trouble, or more especially, from defeat in battle. However, it is also deliverance from the future condemnation that Jehovah will rightly bring upon Israel. Get that. It is deliverance from future condemnation. Again, when we're in that incorruptibility and that undefiled stage. In the New Testament, salvation is deliverance from sin and its spiritual consequences involving an attachment to the body of Christ and an admission to eternal life with the blessedness of the kingdom of God. Now, the last word we're going to take a look at is revealed. It means it's apocalypto. Apocalypto. Literally, to remove a veil or covering, exposing to open view that which was hidden, to make manifest or reveal a thing previously secret or unknown, particularly applied to supernatural revelation. We go back to the book of Mark, this parable of the sower. Jesus said, To you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. We have those secrets. We've been given those secrets. So what we want to do is look deeply into this and realize that Peter, uh, the apostles, writing to us as the strangers living in this right, and that we're to operate on the gifts and the powers that God's given us. I'll close with prayer. Thank you for coming. Father, we thank you for today. We ask you to help us to learn these things and walk in them in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next time. Oh,